And if you're if you're new with us and you have children, uh, Paul and Stephanie are going to be leading children's church. So this is normally where they uh, get to go back at this time. So y'all have a great time. All right. Okay. You know you'll have fun with Mr. Paul and Miss Stephanie's back there. So. When I think of these kids, the Bible speaks a lot about children. And uh, I was in here on Thursday, and we had the three-year-old tykes. For those of you who are new with us, we've got a, a preschool um, up here on this, this end of the church. And I was, I was right over here, and, and they were sitting right there on that front row, and we were talking about the Israelites being being freed from Egypt. We were talking about the Red Sea splitting. And I mean, we're talking about the walls of water up. You know, you may see a fish over here, a crab over here, and you get the bad guys coming behind. And I mean, it was just like they were... I mean, it was like, beam me up, Scotty. And they they just have these little minds and these little hearts that when when things are expressed, they just just gravitate towards that. I remember when I was in VBS before I came here to Rocky Mountain... And I was telling the story of David and Goliath. And, you know, David slinging. They didn't have one of these little crossmen, you know, uh, slingshots. He had the, the real sling. And he slung it. And he slung it and got that torque. And boom. And one of the parents came back the next night and said their little boy, David, he was about three or four, said they were all having dinner, you know, good proper dinner. And he stands up at the table and said, and David got this stone. And he, and I just knocked my... <laughs> This thing's going to be the death of me yet. But he just, it, it was it was so impactful to him that he remembered the, the Bible story. I mean, I think about the children that are back there. And, and praise the Lord, um, we're running out of room with Children's Church. So we're having to, you know, look into to, to getting other areas. And, and we have problems at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We're running out of room. And so let's just give the Lord praise for that. Some of y'all who've been here for a while, you know what... What that means, and and I, I I think it's a beautiful thing. If we're in the course of the message, we've got the kids back there, we've got the little babies back there, the crawlers, toddlers, and got the workers trying to make sure that they don't escape somehow, right? That sometimes you may just hear a, a, a yell, or maybe even a, a selfish mind, right? Like that's my toy, or they just they're having such a good time. What a beautiful sound to be interrupted by the voices of children. And today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And normally we've been going through Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. But today we're going to deviate from that. And if you have your Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, if you're new to the church thing, we are so excited that you're here. There should be a Bible there uh, on the pew that you can, um, on the seat by you that you can use. Or uh, you can actually go into the app store if you have your smartphone and download the free Bible app. Um, And there's been over 100 million downloads of that. So you can kind of join in the party and follow along with that as well. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 9, this is after the flood. The Bible says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And all of the people who enjoyed meat said, Amen. 
Some of y'all just found a favorite verse in the Bible, right? And verse 3, the last half. And as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And notice verse 5. And for your life blood, or for your life, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And here's the explanation. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. This is God's first set of instructions to the people who would repopulate earth after Noah's flood. And on the 4th of February, there's going to be a debate between Ken Ham, who is a creationist. And how many of you remember the good old 90s Bill Nye the Science Guy? All right, Bill Nye is going to debate Ken Ham. So it's going to be very interesting regardless of the outcome there. But I believe that there is a lot of evidence. We have it on the website if you want to go look into it, that Noah's flood actually happened. It's just not ancient mythology or ancient lore. So here it is, starting back from ground zero, God says, um, my first rule here for human-to-human relations is to understand that people are made in the image of God. So to bring physical harm or death to a person, obviously outside of, as the Bible explains later on, self-defense, a just war, to murder someone or take away their humanity to, to enslave them is to mess with the image of God. And God takes it very, very seriously. Now, in our culture, we often place great value on people and we don't even think twice about it, don't we? In our culture, I mean, this is this is pre the Affordable Health Care Act, Obama, this is pre any of that. It was by law that if you didn't have one shred, one dollar of insurance, if you showed up at an emergency room, they were required by law to treat you if it was a life-threatening situation. And you don't have to have been around the international block very often to see how rare that is. In the United States, we have what's called a Christian memory. Most people today in America, um, they don't follow Jesus. You know, they may believe that the Bible is, is somewhat of a good thing, but they, they, they're not actual Christ followers. But a lot of people, whether they're conservative, progressives, moderates, whatever political party, most people today have a strong belief in the worth of people. For example, when we see human rights abuses like what has happened in, and is happening in Syria, we're strongly moved, aren't we? To see that on TV, most people in the West, most people in the U.S. say, there's something about that that just deeply, deeply disturbs me. If you've talked to people from China and many places there, because they've been so infiltrated by atheism, there's the thought that, you know what, there's plenty of people. So people are often hit by cars and they're just left there. There's so many areas around the world where human life is not is not viewed as it is here. In our culture, we have the idea that even if you have no insurance, you show up, you are a human, and therefore you are worth whatever it takes to keep you alive. See what happens if you have a bad 
a bad auto accident in Franklin County. People will pull off. Do you remember years ago, Jessica McClure, the little bitty baby who fell down into the well? It was like the whole nation pivoted and everything seemed to stop to take care and rescue just one little girl. Over 300 million people plus in the United States is just one. But wasn't it interesting that during all of that, there wasn't the debate is, well, is she going to be a good productive citizen? Is she going to be able to give back to her community? Because if she doesn't have it in her genetics, if she's born into a poor family, then it may not be worth it. Y'all following me here? It may not be worth it. In other words, if we pour into her more than she will give out to her community and the culture and the economy, it's not worth it. But nobody thought that way, did they? They say it's a little girl, it's a precious life, therefore we want to save her. And isn't it interesting that intuitively, without having to hear arguments, without having to read philosophy and theology, without having to go to a seminar, we just automatically know that there is human worth and human value in each and every person. Every person. We, but here's, here's the question for us. We're here on Sunday morning. We're going to try to think. So I'm going to ask you as we dive into this text and these things, you're going to need to put your thinking cap on and your big boy or big girl britches on. All right? Because y'all okay? Because yeah. we're going to talk about things that often don't get talked about in church and even in politics. So the question is, is why is there human worth? How do we recognize that there is something that is of value? Another example here is you take something like child molestation. No one today has to hear an argument on why that's bad. Every, people just automatically know that there's something twisted and something wrong with it. Think about murder. Think about rape. Think about human torture. Nobody has to say, well, let me give you five reasons on why these things are bad. We say they're bad because each person has worth. And the driving thought of this message is that human worth is something worth protecting. If you remember Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, that'd be a good place to say amen. The human worth that God has given every person because we're made in his image is something worth protecting. If somebody tries to convince you and I that the Holocaust, for example, was just a morally neutral event. It was just the the random on a human level mechanistic gears of Darwinian evolution just taking their turn. They say, well, it was at that time that the Germans believed that they were more highly evolved than the Jews and the gypsies and other people. So it's just simply bio, it's just simply biology. There's nothing really morally wrong about it. And there's two reactions that we would have to someone like that. We say, so, so you don't, you don't see a problem with what happened in the Holocaust. I mean, we're, we're just all higher animals, right? I mean, yeah, we've got something by way of intelligence, at least some people, right? Over dogs and cats and, you know, whatever animals there are out there. But there's nothing, there's no true sanctity of human life. And we're like, you really believe that? They're like, yeah. And say, one of two things, your your moral radar is jacked up or you need to stop sniffing Sharpies. It's like that, that. I don't need to give you arguments. It's just clear on its face, prima facie, that humans have worth. That's exactly what the Bible has to say. I want to just put a, put a bug in your ear, put a rock in your shoe, that regardless of what you believe about Jesus, that the Bible 
gives the best explanation, the word of God which leads us to Jesus. It gives us the best explanation as to why we feel and why we think what we do about human worth. The Bible says that we've been made in the image of God. So I'm going to give you three reasons this morning from the Bible on reasons why human life is worth protecting. Number one, human life, human worth is worth protecting because humans are created in the image of God. If you were to back up a few chapters in Genesis in chapter 1 and verses 27 and 28, going back to verse 26 as well, the Bible says that God made us in his image. The imago Dei, in the image of God. Now some people say, what does that mean? Does that mean that God looks like a man? It has nothing to do with the physical characteristics, but it does have to do with what theologians believe are three aspects. Number one, God endowed us with reason. Animals don't have reason like people do. Animals react based upon, you know, behavior modification and those sorts of things. But you think about human reason and human brilliance that God has given us. I mean, think about, think about going to the moon. I mean, you just know back in the day when Kennedy said we're going to go there, there's going to be people like, what in the moon, right? Like, what in the, are you serious? And then we think about the Hubble telescope today. And then we think about something like this. Here's, here's a smartphone. I can dial a friend in Germany and through Skype app, I can see Wilhelm Martin's real time. Hello, Jeff. Guten Tag. I mean, straight up. He's across the pond. We think about human ingenuity, the things that we have created. It is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, that we're discovering DNA, that books have been written, that some of you, I mean, I really believe, you know, the whole Gomer Pyle thing when he went into the military, they put him out. Some some of y'all have that show memorized, man. You do. You're like, I've already got it. already got it. They put them out into the woods. And they're supposed to survive. And he came back because he knew the land so well and he gained like eight pounds. Some of y'all, God has given you a, a, a mind that knows how to deal with machines. You could drop you into the wilderness and you could, you could sit bare grills down for a lecture and say, let me show you how it's done. Some of you understand music. You just like, you hear it just like, okay, boom, got it, replicate it. Some of you, I mean, some of you have, have skills that you can work with people. That's a true skill, amen? Like that's your job. Like you, you literally work with people. I mean, back when I had my lawn business, if I got mad at the carburetor when it wouldn't start, I could, I could talk to it. I could throw something at it. I could throw it. But you can't do that with people. Human brilliance, human reason, and philosophers for hundreds of years have struggled with the question that if we have this knowledge of ourselves... See, that's what animals don't have. Animals are not able to contemplate on their animalness. Some of you, you and I, different times in our lives, we sit down by ourselves and we say, I'm just going to think about my life, about why I'm me and what, if I had done this five years ago, would I be in a different place today as opposed to what I did choose? All of those questions, humans are capable of that brilliant use of reason. Not only that, but God, through the image of God that he gave us, he gave us a moral conscience. We know the difference between right and wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that we always do what we know is right, right? But it means that we know it. 
Not only that, but we have a spirit or soul that will live in either heaven or hell once we die. C.S. Lewis says this, quote, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, which, by the way, is two to four months. Aren't you glad you know that now? It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. When you look at all of nature, you see that there is something special about being human. There's value in all of God's creation. But there is something unique about being made in the image of God. Francis Schaeffer said this in his book, Whatever Happened to the Human Race. He said, and I quote, If man is not made in the image of God, nothing then stands in the way of inhumanity. There is no good reason why mankind should be perceived as special. Human life is cheapened. We can see this in many of the major issues being debated in our in our society today. Abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, the increase of child abuse and violence of all kinds, pornography, the routine torture of political prisoners in many parts of the world, the crime explosion, and the random acts of violence which surround us. Augustine said that we should love people and use things rather than love things and use people we still okay i'm just like you too i like a good football game and when you're watching you go to the commercial section and there's a multi-billion dollar industry that feeds itself on making us discontent with who we are and what we have what you are if you can buy this new machine you'll look like this person if you have this new product you'll be happy like this group And through all of that, the Bible tells us that we have been made in the image of God and that our worth, second point, that our worth does not depend on our mental strength or our physical functionality. What it means is that a person such as Michael Phelps, I mean, the guy is a phenomenal athlete. To be able to swim that fast is just plain stupid. Winning all of these gold medals. You take him and then you take someone who's an invalid. Someone who is unable to even get up off of the bed. Guess what? In the eyes of God, they are both human and they both have worth. And may it be that we as Christians do like the early Christians. You know what the early Christians did? They went to those people who didn't have anything to offer them in return. You know that? I don't know if you all remember that. It was like a sermon two years ago. It was a sermon called Dead Deacons. Now, good. There was one early deacon in the third century when he was called before the local ruler. The local ruler said, I want you to come and present yourself before me and bring all of the riches of the church. Because he thought that he thought that there was something going on that shouldn't. And this this awesome, godly, loving deacon, you know what he did? He got all of the orphans in the church. He brought all of the people that were physically ill. They got them there somehow. That's what the account says. He brought all of the people who were up in age and who were no longer able to work. And he said, these are the treasures and the riches of the church. And we've got some smart cookies here this morning. So I want to put another, another thought in your mind that humanitarian organizations, secular or Christian, have their root in the Bible. That if God does not exist, then there's ultimately nothing special about human life. And if God does not exist and we're not made in His image, we're just really smart animals. And really, 
There's plenty of us to go around, seven plus billion. So why do people expend the moral energy and the explanations to save human life if it's not really that special? But regardless if we submit to the word of God or not, we know that it is, don't we? The Bible provides the best explanation for that. Notice back in Genesis chapter 9, verse number verse number 6, the Bible says, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. Before the flood, if you want to go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Go to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So according to the Bible, some people are like, man, why did, why did God send a universal flood and kind of just, I mean, like in a Chuck Norris-esque move, just take everybody out except for one family that was left? The Bible says because the earth was filled with violence. In our culture, we glorify violence. Now, I think there is something very honorable about soldiers that lay down their lives for their country. If it's a just war, if it's to stop oppression, for example, World War II, to stop those who would oppress, enslave, kill, mutilate, torture... Or if it's a just war to defend yourself. There is much to be, to give honor to. I had the opportunity to go with Lee to, um, to D.C. a couple of weeks ago. And to see their Arlington Cemetery. I've been there several times. And just to see those, those white crosses just span for what seems like forever. And know that each one of those, those just small crosses represents the life. So many of those soldiers that in a foreign battlefield, they laid it down. What a great illustration. Jesus laid his down. But praise God, he didn't stay in the grave, right? He came and he arose. There's much to be honored there. I'm not speaking of movies that honor veterans. But some of us, we say, I enjoy violent movies because it's just entertainment. Just be honest, okay? I'm not a chick flick guy. Just doesn't do it for me. I like action stuff. I read an article by William Lane Craig and, and someone had written in and said, well, well I, I know it's not real, right? I know it's not real. And, and if it's not real, then it, it, is it wrong if I just, you know, kind of enjoy these things that are, that are grotesquely violent and, and certain types of, of horror movies and, and things like that that glorify torture and, and gore and so forth. And William Lane Craig gave, gave an answer. He said, how, what do you think that the early Christians who were slaughtered to satisfy the violent appetites of the Roman mobs, the Christians who did ministry to those people on their way to be slaughtered for simply entertainment, bread, and circuses, would they consider that a valid type of entertainment? You know what? I was there reading that on my computer screen. It's like the Holy Spirit went straight to my heart and said, Jeff, obviously there's things that are honorable, honoring soldiers, so forth. But to watch, to watch a movie that's just to shoot them up, to shoot them up, to shoot them up, that is not glorifying to me. And when the Bible says right here that the whole earth was filled with violence, that's the reason why God sent the flood. 
there's a commentary that says on, on chapter 9, it gives this statement. Why does God, people say, well, Jeff, why, why does the Bible say that, that, that man's blood should be shed by man if we, if we commit murder? Here's what this commentary says. It says, quote, because we bear God's image, each human being is irreplaceable. Every human life is so significant that no penalty less than death provides an adequate measure of its value. Only by decreeing capital punishment as a penalty for murder can society affirm the ultimate worth and value of each individual citizen. When you look back at history, it's it's really messed up, isn't it? I mean, this is Genesis chapter 9, and just a couple of chapters later, people are already enslaving one another, already killing one another, to the point that Abram, Abraham, had to wage a small war to rescue people, his friends, his family that had been taken captive. And when you look at history, those of you who are history buffs, it's like John Piper said, history is a long conveyor belt of bodies. Heartbreak. Nations being enslaved and slaughtered for what, slaughtered for what they had. Land, riches, what have you. But then there's this thing that happened several hundred years ago and this group of, of English colonists got together and wrote this document and one of the lines in there was that all men are created equal, endowed by their, which means given, but by their creator with what kind of rights? Inalienable rights, which means that government can't take away what God has given because government is not God. I think it'd be good for all of us, regardless of our party, if we were to remember that. Amen? Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Constitution Party, that government is not the ultimate answer. Some of us, we have things that we believe in and we're like, I'm going to give you 50 reasons why this is a good policy. And those may be good arguments. But at the end of the day, God is in control and not government, which is the reason why our founders, searching the Bible, found what we're talking today. That if we've been made in God's image, and that means that there's some things that kings, tyrants, even Democratically elected legislatures should not be able to touch. So here we are today in 21st century America. If we went back a couple hundred years, we'd find a German guy named Karl Marx. Remember studying him in school? And he said what we should do is just have the state be in control of everything and that people are simply higher animals. It was no longer we're made in the image of God. He called us homo faber, which is man the worker, which means that your only duty in life is just to produce things. If you can work, then you work. If you can't work, then you get from those who work. And the world in this past century suffered the results of nations believing that lie. Nietzsche was an atheistic, godless philosopher in the 1800s. And it was almost prophesied. It said in the 19th, in the 20th century, this past one, that it would be the bloodiest century because people acted based on the belief that people are only animals. We see that in the Soviet Union. We see it in Nazi Germany. We see it in North Korea today. We see it in China today. We see it, where else do we see that? We see that in the Middle East today, that there's no freedom of conscience. And where else do we, oh, that's, see, it's very easy for us to point Y'all okay? It seems to be very tense in here as it just be. It's very easy to point at, at communistic regimes of the past, but in the United States of America, y'all know this, this is not news, we've killed over 53 million of our own. Mark Middleberg says this, he says, all candidates who defend abortion and all those who vote for those candidates have one thing in common, they were not aborted. You made it. I was born in 1980, I made it. 
Many people tell us today it's for the children, it's for the children, whatever the policy is. Regardless of your political party, and we don't do the politics thing here, we don't, we don't advocate parties, okay? We don't have the Jesus meeting and then, and then the party meeting, right, back in the pastor's office. We don't do that. But one thing that we do is we teach the Bible, and the Bible tells us regardless of what we believe, if we vote, if we don't vote, that God has made every single person in his image. And if we've been made in his image, then that means that we're very, very special. And some people have said, Jeff, you're, you're extreme, man. It's like when I, whenever I show up to church, like you talk about these really hard things and, and it gets all tense. Like, why don't you tell us, you know, those stories about you shooting potato guns and chasing kids with plastic swords back, you know, and if you didn't hear those stories, then, you know, God bless you. Like, why don't we just have a better time? Like, why don't we just talk about joy and happiness and goodness? And that, all those things are good, and we absolutely preach the whole counsel of God's word. But here's a question that I level to myself and to you. How can we as followers of Jesus Christ not be broken over the systematic slaughter of our own people by our own people? I say, Jeff, man, you're, just, you're so extreme. Well, let, let, let's, let's examine that. If we're flippant and if we're laid back about something like abortion, then, then we need to be broken over that. If that's something we can be like, yeah, yeah, 53 mil, you know. A lot of them, you know, a lot of bodies hitting the floor, you know. It's, it's a choice, whatever. Yep, no problem. Got to go, got to go to lunch. If, it's that, if, if, the, if that's the state of our hearts, then may God break us. And if you can't say amen to that and you're a member of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, you need to get with Jesus. Because you see, he said that we're the light of the world. Not that, we're, not that we're better than people. No. But that we're the ones who are supposed to be the moral conscience in our community. That we're supposed to be the ones not just standing in front of an abortion clinic holding up signs, but we're the ones that when we find out that that a girl is pregnant and she's not married, we come alongside her and let her know that God loves her. And we quote Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says, I will be merciful towards their sins and I will remember their sins no more. See, that's God. And we let that mercy and that grace, that, that understanding that, man, if it was not for God's grace, I, I would never have had a chance, but He's given me a purpose. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find people, whether they're married, whether they're not, and I'm going to let them know that Jesus loves them. And even though they don't know how they're going to pay for this kid or if it's going to cramp their lifestyle, that God has a plan for them. And they can come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church because we can't speak for other people, but there are people here who will love them. We'll accept them with open arms. We will not pull out the, the red sharpie and write the faded scarlet letter on her forehead. But we'll remember that regardless if it was what we did with our bodies or with our hearts, which we'll talk about next Sunday, we all should be down on our knees like that woman who was caught in adultery and look up into the eyes of Jesus and he say, Rise, go, and sin no more. That we can find grace within Jesus. But if we are flippant and laid back about the ongoing Holocaust, then let me be very, very clear. Regardless if you are a member here, and this, if you're new to church, just we encourage you to keep coming learning about Jesus. But if you claim to love Jesus and you don't see a problem with the systematic slaughter of children, you would not know God if you met Him in a broom closet. You do not know God And you need to get saved. Let me say it again, but it got even more tense. When I preach in Texas and I say stuff like that, people go crazy. Not in Virginia. If you don't have the compassion of God that so overwhelms you 
that you don't go out and start angrily putting faith and get all, all of that stuff and you go in front, but that you're broken and you give financially and you're willing to support. If that is not a reality in your life, then you need, then come into the arms of Jesus and experience what it means to be truly forgiven and set free. All right? So Fred, we may have a lighter crowd next week. Some people say, now Jeff, what you just said, that's advocating religion. If we were somehow to restrict abortion or, or, or to do away with it in a legal sense, then wouldn't that be establishing religion? Be very clear. This is from R.C. Sproul. He says that us, regardless if we're Christians or not, asking the state to restrict that, to do away with it, to make sure that all of its citizens, whether they're old or whether they haven't been born, all that is doing is, quote, the church is not asking the state to baptize human beings, but to protect the life of unborn human beings. And some people say, now, Jeff, you're a guy. You couldn't imagine what it, what it would be like, and that's true. And say, if you, don't, if you don't want an abortion, then you don't have one. Okay, I'd encourage you to go on our, our website, and it's a sermon from 2012. And it's on this subject. And my mom actually came. She works in a crisis pregnancy center. And she was going to give a 10-minute testimony that turned into a 30-minute sermon. And we were talking about that over, over the last break. And, and she actually did something like that for one of my dad's messages not too long ago. And he says, you know, I had all, so many people come up to me afterwards and say, that's the best service I've ever been in my life. I say, you know what, Dad? Back when Mom came and threw down, oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. When she shucked the corn at Rocky Mount Baptist, I heard that from other people too. So there may be something, you know, she can preach better than five preachers combined. But she just gave a heartfelt woman's perspective on what it's like to bear a child. And the woman's perspective on that. But imagine if somebody says, you know, if you don't want an abortion, just don't have one. Well, a response would be, you don't like wife beating? Then don't beat your wife. You don't like slavery? Then just don't own a slave. But we know there's something wrong with that logic. Why? Because women are made in the image of God. And it shouldn't be an issue of a preference whether they're beaten or whether they're taken care of. People are made in the image of God. So it shouldn't just be a personal preference whether they're enslaved or whether they're free. It's irrational to say, well, that's just simply personal preference. So here's what we have in America. We have the reality of abortion. And most of it is killing with convenience. Number two, we have something coming down the pipe called infanticide. That's the next step. Which there are certain philosophers, Michael Tooley at the University of Colorado at Boulder advocates this view. That since children don't have full self-consciousness until they're around the age of two years old, it should be up to the parent to be able to euthanize the child until they hit that point. In other words, let me give it to you practically. See, here's the weird thing. Just right there, everybody's like, whoa. You talk about abortion, people are like... You know why? Because we've had 40 plus years of our hearts being hardened. But when you bring up a child that is right out of the womb, what's the difference? Go with me. You guys have jobs. You have minds. You're smart. Some of you are way smarter than me. The difference between a child's head being in the mother and then right out, that that's, that's a legal joke. It's a child. It's a human. And it should be protected by those who care about life. So why wouldn't? If we're not made in the image of God, why would it be a problem to euthanize a child up to two years of age? If it's not a problem to take the life of an unborn child. Francis Schaeffer said, quote, the link between abortion mentality and child abuse is that when human life is devalued, it makes child abuse much more reasonable. And number three, we've got abortion. We have 
infanticide coming down the slope. And then from our European friends, we have euthanasia. And Belgium is no longer known just for its waffles. December 12th of this past year, just about a month ago, the Senate passed a law that allowed for the euthanasia voluntary of minors. So get this. Children in Belgium, if it's passed by what would be their version of the House of Representatives, if that becomes legal, which it already has by uh, unanimous vote from the Senate, they'll be able to to go through with euthanasia. And uh, there's actually two Belgian twins that they were losing their eyesight. It was Mark and Eddie Verbessum, and they were euthanized. They went through and chose death for themselves. And listen, whenever a society goes down that road, often the talking heads give us arguments that seem good, but that is a road to a society of death. Doctors should be for prolonging life and helping life, not for trying to assist people to end their life. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that great Russian writer, looking at the destruction of his country when it turned in the Soviet Union. And he says, it's the old people who have said, quote, we have forgotten God. That is why all this has happened. And the United States of America, we have forgotten God. Some people say, Jeff, you know, could it be that, like, when is God going to judge us? Well, let me just put this towards you. Some of you have concealed weapons permits. Rock it out. That's your constitutional right. In many cases, it's a good thing. But here's the thing. If you went back 50 years ago and you tried to explain... To someone living then, yeah, I carry a deadly weapon on my person. I actually have a CCW, all right? Some of y'all, I just turned you off. Some of y'all are like, right on, all right? I'm not packing right now. But that it's totally reasonable for you to carry a deadly weapon because you don't know the next time you go see a movie with your family or go to the mall or just go into a restaurant that somebody could come in and just start shooting the place up. That it's totally reasonable and rational. People are like, yeah, if you've got a family, it's good that you carry a weapon. You go back 50 years ago, people would be like, what are you smoking? How is How in, in some part is that not God's judgment when we're killing ourselves and then we're actually killing ourselves? One social scholar said it could be that the generation that has killed its young will be killed by its offspring with euthanasia coming down the pipe. You say, now Jeff, that's all good and depressing, but what do I do about it? We've got five action points. Number one, especially for you ladies, this is a a thing that you could change lives. Number one, consider volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center. There's the Blue Ridge Women's Shelter over in Roanoke. Or if, if you're a guy, consider financially supporting them. Ladies, it, I mean, I'm telling you, that would be, start praying about it. Start praying about it. Go check them out. Blue Ridge Women's Center. I mean, how cool would that be if you have had, it, it is even more so, if you've had abortion in your background, but yet the grace of Jesus Christ has set you free. And you say, you know what? I want to live for Jesus and I want to help other girls who may be on the edge of making the mistake that I once did. He can use your story. He can He can literally use you to save a life. And could it be that that little life that God has used you to save will bring people to to Jesus? They can develop a cure for cancer. They'll be able to... I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. Think about it, ladies, and pray about volunteering to step in the gap. Number two, consider becoming involved in the pro life movement. Even if people call you a whack job. Okay? And becoming involved in the pro-life movement is a movement to educate people on what actually happens. 
not simply to picket. Number three, refuse to support politicians or political groups that advocate abortion or euthanasia. Just don't do it. And we have to remember once again that change doesn't come from political parties. It comes from the gospel. Number four, look for ways to show the grace of Jesus Christ to women who have had abortions. Listen, if you have had an abortion, you are no less a believer than any of us who have not. Everybody comes to the cross of Jesus Christ equally. And like the old song says, the ground at the cross is level. And Jesus can forgive any sin. And finally, number five, look for ways to encourage the ill, the aging, and the unemployed who feel their worth is dwindling. I want to give an encouragement to all of you who are unemployed or partially employed. Could it be that God is giving you a window of time to volunteer, to pour into the lives of people that you wouldn't have if you were working 60 hours a week? Before I moved here, there was when I moved to South Carolina in 2008, I, I had a part-time job at the church and a part-time job at another place, and I had some extra time. So I said, Lord, I want to find more work to be more employed. But until that, the Lord led me to, to be involved with a boys' shelter. So on Fridays when I didn't have to work, I would go in, and we'd be. it was so cool. These guys, I mean, some of them had been dropped off by parents. Some had been forcibly put there by the state because their parents were so strung out on drugs they couldn't care for. I was able to go in there on my day off and just open up God's word. And, and I'll tell you what, if you're depressed about the economic situation, the way that you can use your spare time is if you invest in the lives of people, if you get involved at the ministry here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, if you make much of that extra time, God will radically change your life. And it very well could be that being partially employed or unemployed could be the greatest thing that has happened to you in this area of your life. We know the old song, right? Jesus loves... The little children, all the little children and the unborn children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are all, including the unborn, precious in His sight. Because Jesus loves the little children. And if we claim to love Jesus, we must love and stand up for and speak out for the little children and offer grace, offer forgiveness and unending love to the parents who are considering abortion or who have already been through that. Because God is love. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We come down to our our time of invitation. And it could be that, that God has spoken to your spirit about having a hard heart, about throwing up arguments, about why this is not a big issue. But yet the Holy Spirit has shown you that we are all made in the image of God and that human life is worth protecting. You want to. To have God do a work inside your heart today to have a new level of love for the unborn and for the aged. Why don't you just do business with God right now? Why don't you just ask Him to fill you, to fill you with His love? There may be some here today and, and you're just, you say, Jeff, I'm offended. I do not agree. In fact, this is the last time I'm coming back. I would just encourage you 
If you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, to seek God's word, don't take my word for it, but that this, if you were upset because of this message, what was, what was communicated, that this would be your chance to seek and see what God really says about it. Why don't you make that commitment if, if, if this has hit you in, in what, you seem to be the, what seems to be the wrong way? And there may be some of you, especially you ladies, and God has been, has been doing a work in your heart. You have extra time. It may be that he, He's leading you to become involved Crisis Pregnancy Center to connect with these young mothers for the glory of God. Why don't, why don't you just present yourself to Him to say, Lord, here I am. Send me where you would have me to go. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is your chance to do that. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. To repent, turn away from your sin, and to trust Jesus. And like we've said before, if you have, have endured the guilt, the torture of having gone through or advocated girlfriend-wife to have an abortion, why don't you just confess that to Jesus this morning? You knew it was wrong. You know it's wrong now. He knows it's wrong. Why don't you just come into His loving arms and experience what it means to be truly set free? He loves you. Satan wants you to live in the past. Satan wants you to sit there and wallow in self-pity and never come past it. But Jesus is saying, get up, my child, because I love you. He has his arms wide open. Why don't you just receive his embrace this morning? Father, we just ask that when the invitation is given, the ones who need to come, pray for others, to pray just for the state of our nation and our hardness of heart, that they would do so. Or if there's anyone here and this is their day to join Rocky Mount Baptist Church, would you help them to come? If there's somebody who needs to get saved, we pray that you would just help them to, Lord, through your power, get up out of their seat and walk down in this invitation time. And by doing that, they're saying, I'm ready to live for Christ. We ask that you would take over this invitation.